Greetings, everybody. It's the Film Survivor Podcast. This is your host, Tom Santilli. Uh, a little bit of a special episode today uh, to hype up some independent film. I love uh, talking movies, but I love even more being able to shine light on independent film. And uh, there's a such film coming out. There's a new film coming out in the Detroit market uh, called The Last. It's written and directed by filmmaker Jeff Lipsky. And uh, this movie's been playing in limited release all over the country right now. It's been in L.A. and Vegas and New York. So uh, it's coming to Detroit at the Maple Theater August 2nd through August 8th. But specifically, August 2nd, August 3rd, and August 4th, uh, the screenings at the Maple are going to have Jeff Lipsky himself, the writer-director of the film. Uh, he's going to be there doing a Q&A for the film The Last, and I encourage everybody to check it out if you're in the Detroit area you can also uh, listen to more of my interview in just a minute because I'm going to talk to Jeff Lipsky here on the podcast today. So, again, it's just a little plug for an independent film that I think everybody should go see. It's called The Last. It's really interesting. It stars Rebecca Shaw. And it's, uh, I won't give too much away. We'll talk about it here in a minute with Jeff. But it's about basically a grandmother who confesses to her family that uh, she is a Nazi or she, she was a Nazi. And not only that, but she's uh, she's cool with that. <laughs> she's unrepentant about the fact that she uh, was a Nazi in, in her former life, basically. And it, obviously that sends shockwaves to the family. Uh, and it's a very interesting kind of movie that's definitely worth kind of talking about with others and seeing it in a communal setting like a movie theater at the Maple Theater. So without further ado, here is my interview with Jeff Lipsky. So I am here right now. I'm speaking uh, with Jeff Lipsky. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today here on the podcast. Thanks very much, Tom. I appreciate it. Now, of course, Jeff, uh, you are you are the writer, the director of uh, the new film, The Last. Uh, why don't you just start off um, right off the top? Give people an overview. What what is The Last? Well, uh, I can tell you. Basically, it's a story, a contemporary story of uh, two generations of a Jewish family in New York and their beloved 92-year-old great-grandmother, which mm -hmm. constitutes a fourth generation, mm -hmm. and how the great-grandmother unexpectedly delivers a revelation about her past that uh, completely uh, rocks the foundation of this family. And the rest of the film is how each of the family members deals with this shocking uh confession sure now this hopefully isn't a spoiler because it, it does appear in the trailer <laughs> but th this shocking... no, we 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 can say right up front the film is about an unrepentant not <laughs> there you go yeah and so obviously you could imagine the shock it's not only that this that, that this grandmother carries the secret with her it's that she's unrepentant about it you know it's in, in that that's even another layer of shock to it that's right that's right so what uh, made you uh, what made you kind of want to explore th these kinds of themes and these kind and put these kinds of characters you know against one another in in the film? Well, it, the whole thing began rather uh, or the, certainly that aspect of it began very unexpectedly. Uh, this is my seventh feature film. Mm -hmm. All of my previous films deal with multiple generations of families. They include very strong and compelling and original female characters. They're often about families in crisis. And about three years ago, I set out to come up with an idea to write my, and hopefully direct my seventh film. Mm -hmm. And it was the same time that in my real life, 
my nephew got married, and he, like me, grew up in a conservative Jewish household. In college, he migrated to modern Orthodox Judaism, which none of us knew anything about. Mm -hmm. He, in fact, does not believe in God or a deity, and he was on a career path to become a teacher, which he did of special needs students. In college, he was fixed up on a, on a date with this young, beautiful, whip-smart young woman who was Catholic. And uh, growing up, she had a lot of Jewish girlfriends, and their families would always include her uh, when they got together for holidays and other Judas, uh, Judaism, uh, Jewish festivities. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was very drawn to the religion. And when she began living with my nephew, she decided on her own to convert to Judaism, which she did. And as the cliche goes, it made her the most Jewish person in our family. <laughs> and she very much believes in God. And she herself became a teacher, a music teacher, and does play the cello. Wow. Um, and I thought these were two incredible characters in search of a story. Sure. And then I realized that I, you know, I started thinking, if I went back one more generation than I usually do in, in, in conjuring up a story around these two characters, I'd be back at the Holocaust. And then I realized that we were not approaching the centennial of the Holocaust. We were approaching the centennial of the Nazis' rise to power in mm. Germany. And given the virulent anti-Semitism going on in the world today right. and, and here in, in the United States, I thought it would be an incredible challenge for, for me and to my characters and to audiences to tell the story of a quote-unquote Holocaust survivor unlike any that had ever been told. And that's how I came up with the idea of Claire, the unrepentant Nazi. Yeah, and that's what I, f I found to be very, like, the, the raw, the rawness of it. Because, you know, we've, we've seen, you know, films about, you know, the Holocaust and things like that uh, in, in people's feelings afterwards. But we haven't really quite seen it um, internalized into a family uh, like the, the way that I saw it in this film. Um, also, uh like you said, I think there's a timeliness to this film that it, had it come out 10 years ago, it would have been like, oh, you know, okay, you know, like an interesting, compelling kind of uh, dynamic. But now it has a, a deeper meaning and, and relevancy with what's going on in the world. Uh, what, what do you yeah, yeah. Well, well, again, I think that, that that is absolutely true, but I think that's by default. Since I really began writing it and wrote it uh, two and a half, three years ago, before a lot of the horror that we're seeing here and all over the world take place. Although I don't think those horrors have ever really stopped. Sure. Um, and you know, the funny thing is, a month after I finished writing the script, there was a front-page story in the New York Times one day whose headline read, I loved my grandmother, but she was a Nazi. Wow. Now, it wasn't Claire's story, but it was eerily similar. And four months before we finished post-production on the movie, late last year, uh, there was another front-page story in the New York Times which uh, about a 95-year-old man in Queens, New York. He wasn't uh, masquerading as a Jew, but they, he was located. He had been an SS captain at Auschwitz, and he was being extradited to Germany for trial, which is exactly the knee-jerk reaction that the character in my film, Josh, mm -hmm. has about his 92-year-old great-grandmother when he finds out the truth about her past that he wants her extradited for trial uh, uh, for, for the crimes against humanity that she participated in. And so it, I, I, both, I was both flattered and horrified that even now we are discovering these, these contemporaneous 
uh, horror stories that are residual stories from the Holocaust. In, you know, most people, you know, talk about when they make films, they, you know, they draw on, you know, their, their real experiences. And obviously for, for any, you know, Jewish person in, in the world, the Holocaust is, is you know, forever uh, entwined in your, your past, your history. And you mentioned that a couple of the characters in the film you drew from, you know, people in your own family. Was this in some ways um, a more personal film than the other films that you've, that you've uh, created? Um, there's obviously autobiographical content of, of one sort or another in each of my films, uh, more so in a movie called Flannel Pajamas, which starred Justin Kirk and Julianne Nicholson that mm-hmm. I made about 13 years ago. Um, but, uh, you know, people ask whether I have any direct connection anywhere in my family to the Holocaust, and I don't. I didn't. Okay. Uh, the character of Claire is, was drawn from whole cloth. The character of Melody... Uh, that's Josh's mother and uh, Olivia, the, the, his wife's uh, mother-in-law, was probably inspired by my own mother. In the movie, Melody uh, is a singer in her, with her synagogue choir, mm-hmm. and so was my mother in her synagogue choir. Um, but apart from that, You know, the fact that Claire is a fictional invention of mine, Mm -hmm. uh, when I realized I was going to have to um, uh, provide for that character um, this, uh, you know, this lengthy confession, Mm -hmm. uh, a monumental confession, uh, I had to do some I had to do some uh, research because I was not an A student in history in school, <laughs> and I had to research Germany before the 20th century, before there was such a thing as a world war, mm-hmm. what the architecture of Berlin was at the time, what, what the music was in Berlin at that time, when Deutsche Grammophon stopped making records on cylinder discs. Mm-hmm. And it was great, and I thought that it, it lent a, a, a certain gravitas to her confession. But I really felt something was missing. And even though she's a fictional character, I decided what's missing is a real character, somebody who Mm. actually lived and existed at the same time as my fictional character and that fictional character's fictional mother, who is very much an off-screen character in this movie. Mm. And so everybody knows who Joseph Mengele was, but there were lots of Joseph Mengele's during the Holocaust. So I set out to find one whose timeline would sync up with my characters. And the first one I found was this guy named Carl Klauberg, who was in fact a doctor at Auschwitz, who had been paired up with another even more monstrous doctor, whose name was uh, Horst Schumann. And they are very much uh, characters, major characters in this film. Again, off screen, although when Claire confesses to her great-grandchildren about what her past actually consisted of, uh, she gives them a photograph of these two doctors. And it actually was a photograph of these two real-life monsters. It had been taken at Auschwitz. But we do Photoshop a little image of a young woman between them, which mm-hmm. is presumably Claire at the age of 17 years old. Um, but, and, and just the fact that I was able to take from real life, um, you know, as I say, Nazi monsters uh, and mm-hmm. infuse them into the, the, the confession and the drama of this story, I think that uh, just helped underscore for me um, how how palpable a character uh, that Claire was. 
and, dig, and digging into Claire a little bit further, you know, it, it, there's obviously a, hu- a great sense of bravery in what she decides to uh, reveal to her family. Uh, you know, but she's also she's up in years. She's towards the end of her life. And, and she finds that this is, you know, uh, a weight kind of to be released. Um, why do you what I guess talk a little bit about. Um, why doesn't Claire decide to do this earlier in her life? Um, and do you feel like this is something maybe, it, was there a guilt, you know, embedded in, you know, you mentioned there are other people like this and, you know, kind of echoes different ways. You know, why are people, what should people like Claire be doing, um, you know, when they're living with these kind of secrets? Yeah, I can't imagine how it's even possible for uh somebody who who still considers themselves a member of the Nazi party yeah. to to live with themselves in any way shape or form i did not write the character or i did not intend for the character to be empathetic or sympathetic right. i wanted her I, I mentioned at the beginning that i wanted to challenge audiences the way claire challenges her family and what she's doing is she gives this very detailed history of her mother's life and her life growing up and how it came that she was invited by a doctor to, to be his nurse at Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. And she, the confession is all about saying, if you grew up, if you were me, if you grew up in my shoes to, at, the, at, at the age of 16 years old, would you have said no to that invitation? Right. And I challenge anybody, if they were being honest, to, 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 to deny that. Um, but I think that, I think that Claire's confession... Uh, I think it's entirely plausible that she still today, in 2019, loves her first family, which is her mother, who she only knew through her mother's diaries and photographs and what Carl Klauberg told her, and Carl Klauberg, a man who literally saved her life, made sure she was well taken care of as she was growing up as a child, introduces music in her life, and gets her into nursing school at 14. Just as I think... It's entirely plausible that despite her long-held views about Jews and Germany and the war, both World War I and World War II, and the Holocaust, that she would come to the United States at the age of uh, 18, pregnant, give birth to a child who she had to, to survive, uh, bring up as a Jewish little girl, and love that little girl. She created that life. Of course she loves her, just as she loves her granddaughter, just as she loves her great-grandson. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason she confesses ultimately is because if she doesn't, if all the memories and the diaries and the photographs are, are just sealed away in a bank deposit box after she dies, for, to her, it will be as if that family never existed. Mm. And that's why I think she confesses, not for forgiveness. Sure. She is, she is as we have said a few times, unrepentant and, uh, and lost in the ways that, she, you know, in, in the mindset that she's now had for 75 years. And that's what I just love. I love that just even in that explanation, that just the complexity of the character, because, again, it's very easy to boil things down as, you know, Nazi or this or that, you know, but there, there's such a complexity to her backstory yep. that it, that was really compelling. So now, now you're, I, I, yeah. I was just about to say one, I'm, I'm sorry, one no, no, more thing ahead. is that one of the, by far, uh, the most gratifying thing that has happened in these early days of the film's release 
is that we know for a fact that five actual uh, victims and survivors of the Holocaust have seen the film. Different times, different theaters, different Mm -hmm. places. Uh, Maybe more than five, but I only know the five that identified themselves to me. At least four of those five not only loved the film, but a few weeks ago there was a 99-year-old man, rather spry for 99, (laughs) who had been uh, a prisoner at Auschwitz. And he shook my hand after the movie told me how much he admired it, and then said four words to me, the most humbling words I could imagine hearing in my life, and would have been, made, would have been worth making the movie for just for him to see it. He said, you got it right. Wow. And uh, I mean, and that's why I make movies. That's why artists paint paintings. Yes. Because they are both identifiable, they're transformative, they, 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 it's a remarkable... Um, thing to have your work validated like that. And I'm sorry, you can go on. No, no, in fact, that, le- that leads into my next question. Yeah, I was going to say that is the highest form, you know, of, of reward that you can possibly get, you know, when in creating anything artistic. Uh, but I, I was going to mention that, you know, you are coming uh, to the Detroit area. You're coming to the Maple Theater uh, August 2nd through, the, uh, through August 8th will be when the film plays. The last will be playing at the Maple Theater August 2nd through yep. August 8th. But you'll be actually there uh, in person doing some Q and A uh, on the over the weekend, August second, August third, and August fourth during all the screenings of the film uh, on those days. Uh, you kind of just hit on it a little bit, but I was going to ask you just in terms of um, you know the average moviegoer, what has been the reaction thus far, uh, and 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 t- tell me a little bit about what you think in terms of interacting with the audience in the way that you can with the Q and A. Well, the, uh, a wonderful thing is that we were expecting when we were making the film uh, to encounter a much more divisive reaction amongst Jewish audiences mm. who would just not accept that the main character of a movie was an unrepentant Nazi. You know, it's just right. an open and closed case. And we have not encountered very much of that. In fact, conservatively, I'd say... Uh, 80% or 90% of the Jewish audiences who have come to see the movie have gotten it. They've understood it. They understand the characters. Um, and um, that's been great. The, the, the even better news is that you know, the, tw- the 15% of our audiences who have not been Jewish, be they young African-American women or married LDS, Latter-day Saints couples, hmm have also understood the movie and have been very appreciative of it. Uh, a young African-American woman who saw it uh, a few weeks ago in Las Vegas came up to me and said how much she identified with This is a woman who wow. was probably not, no older than 20 years old. <laughs> but there are scenes in the film and dialogue in the film that she was able to identify with coming, you know, as it, is, as it was from her background. Wow. Um, That's and, awesome. And so it's been, it, are there people who don't, understand, appreciate, um, get, or like the film? Sure there is. Uh, I mean, frankly, I I think my films are always somewhat provocative. Uh, and there's always, I think I'm doing something wrong if 100%. I was just going to say, like yeah, it. something is uh, off there, <laughs> whether either yeah. in the work or in the audience, if 100% of everybody uh, feels the same way. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, so, so that's been, you know, that's been the early reaction to the film. And, uh, and again, of course, to me, those five individuals who did survive the Holocaust, um, for me, that was everything. So. 
talk to a little bit about the distribution of this film. This is an independent movie, uh, and it has played in a lot of parts of the country at this point, again, coming to Detroit in August. Uh, But talk about, you know, I know there's a lot of talk these days with, you know, with Netflix and uh, things like that. The whole way to make a movie and distribute a movie is kind of changing. Uh, Talk about the the value of a theatrical experience and and just how you get this film out there. Yeah, um... (laughs) I I feel so honored and so blessed that six of my seven films, including this one, have uh, have opened theatrically, that play in big movie theaters, important movie theaters, that are seen by theatrical audiences, that still are frequent moviegoers in movie theaters. Uh, it is becoming uh, more rare, especially for independent independently made films mm-hmm. these days. Um, but it's unlike any other experience a filmmaker can have. That said, I keep waiting for my phone to ring and hear Mr. Netflix call me and offer <laughs> me money to make my next film. There you go. I mean, I have no you know, particular bias for or against any one of these new uh, opportunities to tell your story and to, 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 to uh, offer your story to, the, to a wide uh, you know, audience, be it theatrical or be it streaming. You know, I'm very fortunate that in this case, we're going to wind up playing in at least 12 major markets in the country, if not more, uh, before the film does begin streaming, uh, which I anticipate will probably happen sometime in 2020. Um, but uh, it, it is a singular experience seeing a movie in a movie theater. Uh, I don't think, I think all the other, you know, all of the other um, types of, of, of media and uh, be it called home entertainment or streaming, I think they largely cannibalize one another, mm. um, but nothing can duplicate or replicate or, or replace uh, the theatrical experience. Um, are, are fewer people going to the movies in 2019 than there were in, in, in even 1919? Right. The answer is pro- probably sure. But, um, but, but not in numbers large enough to warrant a wide-scale panic. Sure. Um, I, I think that all these services, be it Netflix or Amazon or Hulu um, or even something like Sundance Now, uh, I think that they complement the theatrical experience. Um, and even when they replace the theatrical experience, uh, that's not a reason to, you know, suddenly think the sky is falling. Um, as I said, I'd welcome the opportunity to make a movie for Netflix, just as I relish uh, any future opportunity I have to make a theatrical film. Well, it's awesome in general uh, that you've been able to make, you know, the films that you wanted to make. Uh, you know, it, that that says a lot uh, just about, you know, you and your perseverance as a filmmaker. And uh, I definitely think that people are going to enjoy. Well, I, enjoy is not the right word. People are going to engage in in, in the in the last. Uh, and I think it's a definitely a, a, one of those movies that is going to be enhanced uh, by a theatrical experience, by seeing it with others, talking about it afterward, uh, that sort of thing. Um, w- yeah, what would, what would you tell people uh, who might be interested in, in, you know, who hear this podcast, who might be interested in checking out The Last in Detroit at the Maple Theater? What would you tell people, uh, you know, about the film, who you're trying to reach? Well, the funny thing about the film is that obviously the you know uh, the if a, if the backdrop of a film or a book or a play or a 
a television series is the Holocaust, you know, that's the 800-pound elephant in the room. <laughs> but um, I consider this as much as anything else a love story um, uh, against that background. I, I, I think it's a love story uh, about a family, two married couples, uh, desperately in love with one another, and I, whose lives are turned inside, up, inside out and upside down in a span of 24 hours. And yet the information that, th- that upends their whole existence winds up bringing them closer together as, uh, as a family and as a faith than ever before. And I think we see that uh, throughout the film, and, and, and we see the strength you know, growing. Uh, we see the relationships growing um, uh, as the film uh, climaxes. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think that it's compelling. I think it's provocative. I think it's thought-provoking. I've always said that the worst criticism any of my films could ever receive would be a, a couple going to see a movie, one of my movies, and as the end credits roll, they stand up and one says to the other, where do you want to have dinner? <laughs> that would be the worst criticism. I, I, whether an audience member loves my movie or hates my movie or just simply can't forget about my that might be the best thing that yeah. is unforgettable, is that it stays with them. It lives with them. They feel compelled to talk to their friends and family about it. And um, I think that any filmmaker would agree with that. Um, so, so that's what I, I want to happen. Uh, honestly, I can't wait to return to Detroit. I have been to Detroit in the past with, uh, with one or two of my other films. Uh, audiences there have been wildly receptive to um, independent filmmaking, mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to, 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 to filmmaking that's not necessarily cookie-cutter filmmaking. Yes. Uh, and again, the, the, you know, the last thing I'd like to just, uh, again, underscore is the fact that uh, the star of our film is 90 years old. <laughs> and I started working with her when she was a spring chicken. She was 76. <laughs> and she's 90 in this film, playing older. She's Rebecca playing Shaw, we're talking about, right? Yeah. That's right. And she's a force of nature. I think that people will see great performances by men and women in movies this year, but I doubt that any, any of them will eclipse what Rebecca does in this film. And I hope people remember her from her 1990s, smash NBC sitcom Wing, yes. which was, you know, comedy from beginning to end. <laughs> and the, 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 the depth of the talent of this woman is unstoppable. Best single argument against ageism anybody will ever need. Well, and part of it is giving her this kind of, you know, meat to sink her teeth into, you know, these kind of roles for uh, women uh, of, of a certain age, we'll call it. Um, so, yeah. that, you know, you, you should be lauded for that, too. But, yeah, her performance has been getting uh, raves. Um, you know, the film, again, is the last. Uh, where can people find out more uh, ahead of the film? Like, we know you, it's going to be at the Maple Theater in August. But if they wanted to find out more about you uh, or follow you, are you on Twitter? Are there any social media uh, uh, plugs the, you'd the like best, to give? The, the, the best thing would be to visit uh, the film's web, official website. Okay. Uh, there's all, there are all kinds of clips trailers, behind-the-scenes footage, biographies, and it's the-last.net. That's it, the-last.net. All right, cool. And how about for you personally? Anything uh, anything you'd like people to find you if they would like to? All I can say is that the weekend I arrive in Detroit, August 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, to do Q&As, everybody, please 
come that weekend because if you don't yes. show up at independent films opening weekend, those independent films go away really fast. They're going to love it, and the Maple Theater is that audience. The, the, uh, people there, you know, this is a built-in. Um, people just love film there, and these are film lovers. So I think it's going to be a great time. Uh, a great time there. And again, they're going to be able to interact with you specifically about this film and, and to have conversation about it. And I, I think that it's definitely something people should put on their calendar. Uh, TheMapleTheater.com, people can uh, purchase tickets in advance and make sure that you get uh, a seat and get to meet Jeff Lipsky like I just did. And uh, this has been a real pleasure, Jeff. Well, I can't thank you enough, Tom. It's been uh, a privilege for me. And, uh, and I, again, I can't wait to, to get to Detroit. All right, well, thank you again for joining me today, and uh, that'll do it, everybody, today for the Film Survivor Podcast. I'm Tom Santilli, and we will see you at the Maple Theater August 2nd, August 3rd, August 4th uh, for a Q&A and a screening of The Last. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. So there you have it. There's my interview with Jeff Lipsky, the filmmaker of The Last. Uh, real quick plug, everybody, uh, check out MovieShowPlus.com. Our show is growing and growing and has been just taking things by by storm so check out movieshowplus.com even if you don't live in the detroit area you can watch full episodes of movie show plus on the website you can find all my movie reviews we just did a full episode on the lion king the new disney release and upcoming this week the new episode of movie show plus is going to be all about once upon a time in hollywood the new quentin tarantino film we are uh putting a highlight and a spotlight on a local awesome historic place in Detroit called the Rooster Tail, which is a place that once upon a time in Detroit was one of the hottest spots for any act. Pretty much every single Motown act played there. Uh, Frankie Valley played there. It was featured in the movie Jersey Boys. And the Rooster Tail is still hopping uh, in 2019. But we're going to be talking about the Rooster Tail. And uh, we're going to be live from the Rooster Tail. And we're going to be talking all about Quentin Tarantino's new film. Stick with it. Also, guys, uh, if you're joining this and you get through to this point in the podcast and uh, you're used to me talking about Survivor, never fear. The Survivor podcast will be back in the fall. We took a little bit of a hiatus because of the fact of uh, with the Edge of Extinction twist last season, they didn't do exit press. So the the podcast kind of went on a little bit of a hiatus. But the way that it looks uh, shaping up in the fall is we will have interviews each and every week with the people voted off of the new uh, Survivor Island of the Idols, uh, which is Survivor Season 39, guys, coming up. Wow. Uh, those who follow me also are, are into Big Brother uh, should know that I'm I am co- I'm actually covering Big Brother this season for RealityT.com. So that's RealityT, like T-E-A, like you drink the tea, RealityT.com. Uh, and you can follow my Big Brother recaps. It's been quite the controversial summer thus far in the Big Brother house. And I'll uh, give you all my opinions there. So thank you, everybody, for supporting independent film, to for supporting the film The Last, and for listening to my podcasts, supporting Movie Show Plus as well. I appreciate it. We will see you again soon. And uh, go from there. Everybody have a great summer. See you at the movies.